And this certainly is a subversive text. Uh, it's subversive in ways that we may not expect, but uh, you might remember that Rome had invaded Israel. They were the occupying power. And generally speaking, those who are being occupied are not favourably disposed towards those who are occupying them and vice versa. It tends to be a relationship that has some deeply held animosity at its heart. And here we have a story that really subverts that animosity because on the one hand you've got a centurion who loves the people he is occupying and on the other hand you've got those who are being occupied who really appreciate the one who has come expressing that occupation. So it's a pretty um, outrageous story. And then you've got Jesus in the mix declaring the outsider as the excellent example of faith. It's, it's um, not your usual story. But the Jews were willing, the Jews around this century were willing to go and seek Jesus' help for this centurion because his faith was really evident. They mentioned just a few things that he loves our nation and he built the synagogue for us. So the centurion would have had a lot of power, a lot of military might at his disposal, some um, Roman soldiers, and he used those resources to build a synagogue for the people. Now you might say he was a, a really smart political operator. Some of our politicians around today could take some notes perhaps. But it seems that it was more profound than that because they said he wasn't just trying to win us over, he loves us. And we know the difference between being courted uh, for some other purpose and when someone actually loves us. I think we know that most of the time. And this centurion seemed to really love the people. His faith was evident because he'd done stuff, including bricks and mortar stuff. He'd built a synagogue for them. You see, we do live out the things that we truly believe. And this centurion had somehow become captivated by the people of Israel. This is kind of what you'd hope, in a way, that anyone moving amongst the people would somehow find their values attractive if they were living them out according to the call of God and find that convicting and, and change them. And that seems to be exactly what has happened for this centurion. And so he starts to enact that which he really holds dear. He does build the synagogue. He does look after these people. He does form relationships of mutual respect with them and things really start to change. And when the centurion hears about Jesus, he has confidence in this man and his authority. The centurion recognises in Jesus a man who he hasn't actually met at this stage but only knows about through the stories he's heard, presumably. Maybe he saw, them, saw him at a distance. But through the stories that are circulating around Jesus, the centurion's going, this guy understands authority. He gets stuff done. 
Perhaps it was the teachings, perhaps it was the miracles, perhaps it was the respect that people um, had for Jesus that the centurion had heard about. But he got it. And he also understood that he was a Roman, a Gentile, somebody for whom if the Jew, a Jew came into his home, that's quite a costly thing. So the Jew would then have to go and ritually cleanse themselves. Took a fair bit of time, a little bit of expense that was involved. And so when he thought about Jesus doing this thing for his servant, again another indicator of this man, the centurion, who cared for his servant. It wasn't as common to care for your servants in those days, but he really cared about this valued servant. And he knows that it would be inconvenient and he's not worthy for Jesus to come into his home. So he understands the nature of Jesus' authority to such an extent that he says, you say the word and it will be done. I'm not worthy for you to come into my home. I'm unclean. I'm a Gentile. He wasn't being grovelly. He was just acknowledging the the, uh, cultural realities of the situation. See, the, the centurion really understood authority and you would as a centurion in the Roman army. That was one of the, well it was, the best army in the world at that time. They were efficient. Somebody at the top gave a command and those underneath followed it to the letter or else. And so they were really finely tuned oiled machine that uh, was almost like a a press the button here and the thing happens there because the chain of command was so, so tight. Now we interact with authority structures all the time, don't we? Um, Whether you're at school and it's the school principal or your teacher or whatever it might be, whether it's uh, just in normal society with the police, uh, the courts, those kinds of things, whether it's at work with your boss, um, whether it's in uh, society with elected representatives, all that sort of thing. We understand authority. We understand that there's some people, when they say and do things, it carries more weight than other people because they have the power to do it. This centurion really got that too. He knew where he was in his chain of command and he knew what he could do and he knew what he couldn't do. And so he understood authority. Later in Matthew's Gospel, after Jesus' resurrection, he will claim that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him, to Jesus. A universal authority. Now think about that for a moment. A universal authority. How can that possibly even work? Is that like the most powerful dictator with the the greatest army that can inflict the most uh, fearful coercion on the peoples of the world? Now this is a different kind of authority altogether. This is an authority that relates to our essential humanity and that our essential humanity responds to. It's an authority built in doing that which is good being a blessing, an authority that operates on the basis of inclusion rather than exclusion, an authority of serving and caring for everyone, an authority that takes responsibility, an authority of self-giving love. This is an authority that is not 
imposed from above but is recognised from within. We respond to it because we know it is good. So we're not coerced by it, we're drawn by it. This is the nature of the authority that has been given to Jesus. And it is the most profound and all-embracing and powerful authority of all because it's not based on fear, it's based on love. See, authority without faith is kind of hopeless. If you've got authority but you don't really have faith with that authority, it tends to go nowhere much. And sadly you often see this in church hierarchies today. People who have authority but they don't really know what they believe anymore. You see it in politics as well, people that have power and authority and they don't believe in anything anymore and it kind of just meanders and becomes nothingness or at worst it becomes oppressive and people um, who have structural power but no sense of how to bring life to the structure they're part of, there's, there's a lot of examples of that around. Worse of course is the authority that has faith in something that is false. Uh, leaders who believe in power, the power of fear and violence and scapegoating as strategies to take power from others. And we see examples of that around the globe and in our own neighbourhood all the time. Authority without appropriate faith is nothingness or dangerous and destructive. Faith without authority, on the other hand, is fairly undirected. And so you might find this in well-meaning but not well-taught Christian circles, for example. People who are ready to believe in almost anything and put their trust in almost anything. And they're often very effervescent and enthusiastic and they'll believe God for parking spaces or luxury cars to park in them and everything in between. And uh, they may have this enlarged capacity to put their trust in an unknown other, which they will call faith, but they have very little understanding of the character of the one that they think they're putting their trust in. So it's a fantastic enthusiasm that burns brightly but eventually succumbs to the disappointments of false hope because they haven't understood who they're trusting. In a sense, that's part of the journey we all take, I think, because we all start off less informed and become more informed as we go along. So, I don't know about you, I've been uh, highly enthusiastic in my past and put my trust in all sorts of things that I named as God and as I went on, I worked out they probably weren't God and when they failed, I figured that probably definitely wasn't God and I had to reassess where's God in the midst of this, what's the character of God in the midst of this, how do I trust God in the midst of my life? And it's a refining process. Uh, we become honed as we learn what is worthy of our trust and who is worthy of our trust and the nature of the one we call God uh, who we trust. So when we go through that journey and we get a sense of the authority that Jesus has been given, this good 
profound, life-giving authority and we have the capacity to trust Jesus and that authority, that becomes a very powerful mixture. When we put our trust in the authority of Jesus such that it transforms our values and the way we do life, then we experience that authority in a way that is its a more profound authority than anything else. It's more profound than uh, the laws of the land. It's more profound than the agreement of the group. It's more profound than anything you care to mention because it it's the sense of what's really good and we're captivated, captivated by it in a sense. It's the authority of a well-lived life. It's the authority of someone who's not constrained by fear or selfishness. Do you understand the kind of authority that that is? It's we, when we see it in someone, when we see someone living life that isn't constrained by fear, which isn't just about garnering something for themselves, we hear that authority in them. An example might be uh, someone like Nelson Mandela when he came out of prison. I understand before he went into prison, he was still a work in progress. I mean, we all are and he was indeed afterwards as well, but maybe he was more attuned to the ways of violence and manipulation. But when he came out of prison, he knew that he had to act in a way that embraced everybody and that was a way of peace and reconciliation. Otherwise, there was no future for his country. And that had authority, such authority that it did actually bring the country together in a way that no one else could and no one else has been able to since, to be true. It's the authority of that life that is wanting to give life. It's not about the self. And Jesus is our example par excellence and his death on the cross enables us to be honest about the fact that we're not innately like that when we start off. That we would actually rather push our troubles under someone else to carry for us. We would rather murder the innocent than own our own violence. We don't do it in direct ways, we do it in all sorts of indirect ways, but that's, that's who we are and that's the confronting nature of the gospel. And then when we acknowledge that and own it and hear the grace of God toward us, that's the moment where we have maximum traction to enter fully into this life and this authority that Jesus has and sends us out in. We know that we also have been saved. Just like every other person around us either has been or needs to be. And in a sense we continually need to enter into that salvation. So in a moment we're going to gather around this table as we do each month. We're going to break the bread as we do each month and take the cup as we do regularly, we are going to gather around Jesus. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. It's the authority that is the fullness of life
that calls people into life and challenges anything that would stand against that. We're going to share in that life and then we're going to hear again that we are being sent out in that authority to share that life. And I assure you, as one who has tasted some of this, there is no greater authority. There is no other power that can transform life like this authority. The centurion knew it. He knew it from afar. He knew it would transform everything. Just say the word, he said. Do you know that authority? Can you trust that authority for yourself and for the way you interact with others? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are challenged and confronted by your amazing love. You interact with us in such a way that we don't put up our normal defences and justify ourselves. We are drawn by your incredible acceptance, your willingness to die even for us. We want to know more of your heart, to draw closer to you and become expressions of your love in everything we say and in everything we do to the glory of your name. Amen.